2: Are you ready? Do you have all your things? I just watching you looking at things and grabbing things. Are you set?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And I have my things. Okay, Everybody good. has their stuff. All right. Very good. Okay. So.
2: So many. So many. So many. Damn books.
0: Okay. Welcome to so many damn books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Alexandra Kleeman joining us in the hyperspace Zoom universe. Alexandra Kleeman is the author of Intimations, a short story collection, and the novel You Two Can Have a Body Like Mine, which was a New York Times editor's choice. Her fiction has been published widely in places like The New Yorker and The Paris Review. Uh, she's the winner of the Berlin Prize and the Bard Fiction Prize, and she lives in Staten Island and teaches at the New School. And she also just released something new under the sun and as we were just discovering you were the first three pete guest <laughs> to come Not on so many damn books
1: to be honest like that's something i'm going to put on my bio uh, <laughs> no one else has
0: that's true you're the you were the first um and and we're so excited to have you back
1: i'm so excited to be back right um, this is my favorite show. I like the drinks you make, Christopher. <laughs> I can't drink one of them with you, but I am drinking my genuine one hundred percent natural water.
3: Oh. <laughs> Open your newsfeed right now and you're bombarded with so many choices about what to read or listen to. How can I ever find the time to read when all I'm doing is figuring out what to read next? With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks audiobooks, magazines, and more. You also get thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read, which makes choosing your next book that much simpler. Anytime I have a free minute, I have so many choices to choose from. What's the new Netflix series? What podcast episode just dropped today? The same thing goes for books. Instead of standing in front of your bookshelf, waiting for a title to jump out at you, sign up for script, you get instant access to millions of eBooks, audiobooks, magazines, and more, all with one low monthly subscription. Scribd allows us at Just Right Book to find exactly what we're looking for any time of day or night, whether it's the latest release or a backlist title we hadn't stumbled across in years. With Scribd, the world's most fascinating library is at your fingertips, all for just $9.99 a month. Explore all your interests in any format with millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, and more you enjoy instant access to Scribd's entire library for less than the cost of a single book. It couldn't be simpler. No complicated credits or additional purchases. With Scribd, you can access the largest digital library in the world right from your favorite device. Automated suggestions and hand-curated picks make choosing your next book easier than ever. Easily switch between titles, genres, and formats right from the app, And discover must-read new works from celebrated authors like Roxane Gay, Charles Yu, and more premiering exclusively on Scribd. Right now, Scribd is offering our listeners a free 60-day trial. Go to try.script.com slash smdb for your free trial. That's try.scribd.com slash smdb to get 60 days of Scribd for free.
0: Well, let me tell you about the um the drink that I created, inspired by your novel I'm calling it uh water snazzy plus adults only <laughs> it looks like this and I, um
1: it's very very blue yes
0: <laughs> it's so i when I was thinking about water um water which is stylized without an e and it's all capitalized in the novel um i was thinking about specifically um in the town where i grew up in santa clarita california um, there's this miniature golf course called Mount Taja, oh. and um they have this waterfall that is bluer than blue like it's the same color as this
4: <laughs> rank
0: And um, I've always thought, like, that's water plus. That's water with something a little extra in it. And so every time I was picturing water in the book, I was picturing, like, that weird Mountasia water that they piped through their fake uh, waterfall. So this is basically a martini with a few dashes of blue curacao Mm -hmm. in in it to give it its blue hue. And... um, I'm using California Grey Whale gin, which is this fantastic um, fairly new gin company that has uses only California botanicals, which is also a nice tie into the book. And yeah, it's a, it's a fun drink. It it's kind of it adds like just a fruity tinge on the very end of a, of a martini, so I wouldn't put an olive in this. I think that would be not correct. Um,
4: <laughs>
1: but
0: I think it's a nice it's a nice cocktail.
1: Maybe a little twist of California citrus or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. just just a small slice of avocado on the <laughs> rim.
1: I'm going to find that gin because I love the idea of local botanicals, and also I'm such a lightweight; I can't handle most liquor, but I can drink gin because it's for sassy ladies, you know.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's why I drink gin. Um, it's because it's for sassy ladies. <laughs> So yeah, that's water snazzy plus in parentheses, adults only. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, And I wish I was drinking with you guys,
2: but uh, since I'm drinking
0: alone, I'll just cheers the screen. Yeah,
2: someday we'll get to do it again in person.
0: I I I pray for that day. I don't pray (laughs) for many things, but I pray for that. The next thing that we talk about is uh, consumerism. Rampant consumerism. Buying things.
2: What did you buy, Drew? Why don't you start our What'd You Buy party? Okay, I've got something I bought and something I was sent. The thing I was sent is a reissue of Tanana Reeves' debut novel, The Between. This episode will be out in October, which means that by the time that other people are hearing this, I will only be reading things that are spooky or weird. And I've long wanted to read this book, and it's been out of print for a little while. I don't know too much about it, um, but I love Tanana Reeves' work, and I'm super stoked to read this. And then the other thing that I think I'm gonna just slowly work my way through over the next several months uh, is Sarah Schulman's Let the Record Show, mm. which is her oral history of ACT UP in New York City. Um, I, It's such a like huge doorstop of a book, but I love Sarah's mind. I love the fact that she put this book together And from all accounts, it sounds like it's not just a history lesson, but it's also more or less an activism like workbook, basically. Uh, So I'm very stoked to dive into that.
0: Everybody loves it. It's really one of these books that seems to be on everybody's list.
2: Yeah. Alex, how about you?
1: One thing I just bought is... uh two hounds um freedom no pull dog harness Oh, (laughs) and that's not for me that's for my dog um and she uh, has been really good at walking calmly especially as she ages she's now six but um Uh, Since we got back home to San Island, there's um, a dog park not so far from us, and she does she does have the strength to pull us 100% to the dog park. She'll use every ounce of her strength to do that. So it's back, and this time, like um, I'm just not used to it. Like she can pull me over, so I'm trying this. It's the highest rated dog (laughs) harness for bad dogs from the New York Times.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is it a front clip or is it back clip?
1: It has both a front and back mm.
4: clip. Very good. Nice. And you know, cool.
1: weird thing I didn't understand is they sell a leash that has two clips on it. It's like two leashes in one. And you can clip them to both parts of his harness. I don't know why you would want to do that, but you can do it.
2: Hmm? Wow. I guess if you really need that extra stopping power.
4: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a strong dog that needs like a true, like guide, guy wires to pull it. Yeah, okay. two clips.
2: <laughs>
1: this is a two-clip dog. <laughs> <laughs> <Fans>.
2: <laughs> That's great. I can't believe Jeannie's six. Yeah. <laughs> uh Christopher, what'd you buy?
0: Um, so I we were sent Very Cold People by Sarah Manguso, which is out all the way. It's it's so early. This Gally arrived and it comes out in February 2022. Um, mm-hmm. which I just I kind of just like holding it. It feels like it's an object from the future. Um, (laughs) But I loved Sarah Manguso's um, book, Ongoingness, and I just love her writing. And this is a novel that seems like it's going to be pretty harrowing. It's just like one person feeling um, trapped in their small town and how that like shapes you. So in for some winter fun. (laughs) <laughs> I think I'll, w- since it's called Very Cold People, I'll read it when I am a cold person um, in the winter. And then I went to um, a poetry reading, like outdoors. It was so nice in the unnameable books backyard, um, mm. which is a great Brooklyn bookstore. So it was a great poetry reading. Um, Amy Berkowitz was reading from something new that she's working on. and um, But this poet, Sophia Dahlia, was reading from her collection, Natch. And I just loved the poems. I haven't bought poetry in a really, really long time. And um, it's a tiny little volume. It's put out by City Lights. And I'm very excited to, um, I already read a few of them and I'm just loving it. I love that sort of you read a couple and you put it down type of reading experience. Nice.
4: So,
0: so those are, those, that's what I got. Nice, nice, nice.
4: And
2: you listeners have all at this point purchased your copies of Something New Under the Sun. Yes, I'm sure you all have. Um, But Alex, can
0: you tell the people that might not know what the book is about?
1: Well, um, this is my second novel. It starts off as something of a Hollywood novel. It's about this guy, Patrick Hamlin, a novelist from the East Coast who comes to California to oversee the production of a film adaptation of one of his novels, very exciting. Um, only when he gets there, he discovers that he's not really uh, the shot caller. He's um, more of a PA in fact, like exactly a PA, working on set alongside other PAs and his job is then to ferry around um, this uh, star like Cassie Carter, who's got the lead role in this movie and and who is sort of a big deal, but a big deal in the past. um, she's struggling with uh, how big a deal she is and what she does it all for. So at the same time that this is happening, um everyone's drinking this thing called what I pronounce it that way because I feel like it should sound like there's something kind of caught in your throat. <laughs> mm. um, and it's a manufactured water. It's synthetic. It's exactly or rather almost exactly like the real thing. Um, and the almost exactly part starts causing some problems later on. So it goes from being a Hollywood novel to being more of a disaster film.
2: <laughs> You've been working on this novel for a little while, for most of the time that I've known you, I think. And I've <gasps> I've seen you working on or or moving towards it in different ways where you're sort of like... You were focusing on climate. You were in places that were inspiring the the writing, and I would love to hear you just talk a little bit about like the the path towards the novel that you ended up with.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, um, that's funny. Yeah, you know, I have been talking about this novel for a while. I'm almost like the guy in Marshlands, as we'll discussed later on. Um, but yeah I, I feel like for me I'm at least the kind of writer who has um, a project appear to her in pieces so there's some things I know first and some things I know later and one of the first things I knew is that well I want this to be about water because what more sort of precious irreplaceable resource is there um, and I wanted it to be set in California because this is a place that I spent time as a kid that always made a big impression on me because mostly I lived On the East Coast, in sort of, um, you know, watery, deciduous landscapes. And then suddenly, for a period of time, I was just tossed out into um, uh, the San Gabriel Valley, huge sprawl, um, manicured lawns, and very wild, like rattlesnakes and coyotes, sort of uh, uh, bramble in the background in the hills. And um, I was always curious when I was a kid, like, what makes this place tick? Like, if this place is actually like a sort of wild desert why are we pretending it's like a suburban neighborhood just like any other why do we do that to this terrain um and so this is my chance i think to return to that place um bringing with it all my usual obsessions i guess (laughs) and um i started to work to tie those things together and you know maybe it's apparent reading the book or or maybe not but It's those sorts of goals, like to explore California and the environment, and then to explore like the idea of our attempts to recreate the environment and our failure to recreate it exactly. Um, That were my starting point. And then I had to figure out like, well, who can exist in this story space? Like who can (laughs) show us something about it?
0: Can can you pinpoint when you started feeling like menaced by water or when you were...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I've always been sort of a sensitive, maybe like superstitious person. Um, I have this thing personally about water that doesn't taste right. (laughs) Um, Because, uh, for example, like um, most refrigerator water doesn't taste right. Like there are some fridges that are okay and you can get water from the tap in the front. But mostly they taste like that freezer taste, which Mm is um, a little bit plasticky, but it's not quite plastic. It, it tastes cold. but That's just cause the, because of the association. It's just a foreign taste intermingled with this stuff that my body, body otherwise recognizes. So I w- I will not drink from refrigerator. And um, I always pay a lot of attention to tap water when I get in a place because whether good or bad or neutral, there's so much that you learn about a place from how the tap water tastes. Um, so you know. I've always been attuned in that way, but I became more attuned while writing this because one of the mini challenges I gave myself, like I always set up some main challenges and then some side quests was (laughs) to be like, Well, can I really get down the feeling of drinking water? Because usually I think we've got it so habituated and automatized that we we pick it up and we're like, I'm going to drink some water. And then a second later it's done and you've drunk it and you haven't really processed that experience. So like what if I slow it down, and what if I try to get into how it feels moving down your throat and around your mouth, um, uh, which unfortunately like tends to be kind of disgusting when you slow it down <laughs> and recognize it for the first time.
0: Yeah, it's sort so, of othering, right? Like it's an othering it experience. Is. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and I mean, um, it it's something similar to my first book. Like I think I'm I'm really curious about what our body does for us when we're not looking. You know, um <laughs> the intelligence and all the skill and and mechanics, um, but uh, when you're thinking also of something that shouldn't be in your body kind of moving through those same passageways, like it's a very unearthly feeling, I think, like, and um sometimes when I was writing and and trying to get to the point like where I had the words and images and feelings that I wanted to put into the novel. Um, i give myself a little panic attack thinking about like um what it would feel like to get this fake water stuck in your throat for example yeah the
2: yeah. language around water is so uncanny and disturbing and i i was thinking about um we i asked ruman alam this too when he was on about leave the world behind like the word choice is so when you read it you are like i never would think about water describing it this way we were also getting a new water softener put in because our tap water was really bad for and right as i was reading this book and so i was just like is this water okay like what <laughs> it, does it what does it take to like choose that language that is so othering that is so unnatural
1: mm, i know i i think like um a lot of times it's almost a um, mental n plus one exercise that you do like what's the word i would normally use like what are some words in the orbit of that word and what happens when i start pulling those words in like um because mostly the way that we describe or want to describe water is such a narrow channel kind of like um cold clear crisp smooth like um refreshing (laughs) um And as soon as you start to leave that territory behind, I think it becomes like um, an object of curiosity. Like, what is the substance now if it has this thing that water shouldn't have? What would it be like for water to move just a little too slowly, you know, like um, some other liquids we know? Um, I also thought a lot about um, water, the way we use it, as this sort of symbol of trust, trust in infrastructure and trust in government. You know, um, only rarely does the source of my water in new york for example come to mind and um you know that's because the water is so good and part of the reason it's good is because it comes from upstate and development is like very restricted in a lot of ways so that we can keep that water really um pure um But even though I do that a lot with food, like, where does this food come from? What's the manufacturing process? It takes extra effort for me to think about that and perform that same process with water because um, emotionally, I just think water comes from the tap and it's good. The end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I i i had a similar feeling of like i i now can't stop thinking about because i i like water i like water to be very cold so i like water from the
2: weird waters well (laughs)
0: that sounds strange
1: (laughs) tell me tell me
0: no i just you know i i think that um i i just like to change water you know i love the i love having a soda stream (laughs) I love the, um, the sort of like weird via life things where you can put like a couple drops of a flavor in it, um, which is really strange. And like all of this stuff that I used to sort of do with water, um, I, I kind of stopped after I read your book, I stopped buying those (laughs) water additives because I was just like, I've said before, like Brooklyn tap is just some of the best water in the whole Mm. world. It's, fantastic and it feels weird when you're tasting water when you're not around here and it's just like wow i'm really um i have i'm so privileged to have this delicious clear fantastic water straight from the tap in brooklyn um so i i feel like i feel like you you did your job very well There was this question you actually kind of posed it. I'm I'm asking, going to ask you a question that you posed to yourself. Um, <laughs> you 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 put this question out on Twitter, and you were like, "Why hasn't anyone asked me this?" Um, and then you followed it up, just like, "Is it because it might be conceived of as rude?" <laughs> I I'm curious about your answer of what would you do differently in this book if you could.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the tensions is. I never wanted to write a particularly long book. My favorite books are short and very potent, I think. Um, So when I was writing, there were some places where I specifically decided, oh, this is outside the scope of the book and I'm not going to go there. But as time has gone on, I thought, no, I really want to go there. Like, because I didn't go there in this book, it's part of my next project and I will never, be rid of this uh task until i write it into some book or another and and that one of those was to um sort of go into nora's belief system she's patrick and allison's daughter and she's kind of having a different experience of this whole crisis than either of her parents Mm -hmm. and sort of thinking um critically about things that um her mother who is pretty aware of ecological crisis um is is not even close to, um, comprehending, like the critique of the critique of modern society, that is Nora's position at, um, earth Bridge, the eco economy that they go to to live. Um, so I, I love to create little alternate belief systems. And I think that, um, one thing that this book I think could have encompassed would be, um, a bit of hope about a type of world that could be built after this one, because I do try to draw this arc that goes like long after the death of all of our characters sort of in the far future imagined. Um, But I think the most hope for me is in the sort of world that Nora would create and would join up with others to build, um, which I sort of only hint at. Um, The other thing is, um, I don't know if the book could help us, I think I should have gone really ham on water all the time and and made some sort of challenge to myself to put it in every scene, real water contrasted with what are. And uh, I also would have made the East Coast a flooded mess because I realized I did not aim to token enough in those terms.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it feels sort of like the world um, scooped you a little bit like i I am looking at california this year i have family in california and the thing of like the idea that they are going to need privately sourced water probably like tomorrow is it suddenly doesn't feel like science fiction it's like oh i if you want to live in the middle of a fire zone you're gonna need this
1: yeah yeah i i mean um i think that's one of the um hazards of the near future novel is that the future is hungry and it's coming for us faster than we (laughs) thought. And so, um, for example, like just in the time that I was writing this, um, uh, private fire companies sort of became a thing, um, trucking water into Mendocino, California, um, uh, from a neighboring town and then ceasing to truck it in because uh, the town started to experience shortages itself and could no longer give water to Mendocino. Um, all of those things like were reported on in the news. And now, um, you know, because of my interest, um, I have people sending me photographs of strange new brands of water all the time, <laughs> none of which are <laughs> synthetic and, and super hazardous, I hope, but which are weird. Like there's this, um, oxygenated water yes. brand that's going around now. And, yes. Um, that's,
0: that's been going for a while. I remember, um, 7-Eleven carrying this weird because it because they the bottles were spheres so like ah. they, they didn't know like how to uh, put them on the shelf so they were in this thing and they were really hard to get out because like because they didn't think about like how to um actually sell them to people they were just like look at this spherical bottle
1: and they were hard to get out because you were grabbing many of them it was your weird water <laughs> <laughs>
0: You sort of went into this, but I'd curious if you, for you to expand on it, how how has the literature world changed since your debut? Mm-hmm. how How have you felt? Have you felt that? Because your um, you two can have a body like mine came out in twenty fifteen. It was like the last time that the world was normal, ish.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: I would love to time travel back then and be like, hey, enjoy this, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> <fun.">
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'd love to um hold people close grab them by the shoulders and say it's all going to change
4: how <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: good you have it <laughs> um yeah that's such a good question and i think that um there's like an answer to this question that we can't even see the whole of right because i view my first book as sort of a, a peacetime book it was a book written in the obama days when it was um you know a thing to do to turn inward and think about. Um, what composes my identity and like what are these different elements of my identity connected to both like in terms of larger systems of power and in terms of um you know the sort of psychological tendons that hold it all together um and uh i think that you know obviously the beauty industry has not changed substantially so all of that um critique would still hold but the world is just so radically different you know I I feel like while we weren't looking um climate change really snuck up on us even if we thought we were looking we were not really looking um and I think that the literary world in a lot of ways got a lot more um adventurous and in certain ways like I think that genre mingling is just Um, an acceptable, established thing. And I think that um, the sort of passive creeped out female character is just every female,
4: (laughs) basically. (laughs)
1: Um, So uh, I I think a lot of those things happen. But I think that, you know, I'm really curious to see what happens in the next few years, because this is a time when those Trump era books that were written in the Trump times or written, I guess, in the pandemic now um, are going to start, emerging, and it really puts pressure on literature um, as a possible source of, of change or of organizing or of some sort of like heightened collective awareness, um, but at the same time I think that we're fatigued and we're so also used to some of these old um, modes of raising awareness and then critical about what they do beyond raise awareness that it may not be um, the thing. Like, what I feel really excited about seeing um, is, you know, something likely utopian. Um, if if anybody spent their time in lockdown thinking of alternate ways to organize society and alternate, like, um, uh, w- ways that race and gender could figure in the world like I, I think that this is happening all the time in in science fiction and speculative fiction but to see it pulled into the realm of realism i think would be really great and could really like change what we think is possible within our lifetimes and within you know our own personal sphere of action yeah
0: yeah yeah, it, that makes me think about um something Corey Doctorow was saying um online, which is that like a utopia is not a society free from conflict. It's a society prepared to be the best of themselves in a conflict.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: I might be I, I might have gotten the quote exactly kind of wrong, but I think that like that sentiment is just so Uh, It it really grabbed me. Yeah.
1: I mean, Utopia got a bad rap because so many of the utopian novels that um, you can find involve the complete cessation of problems, right? Through like technological and social organization, and we all we all know that's never going to happen. But definitely, problems can be dealt with better (laughs) than (laughs) we currently deal with them. Imagine
2: imagine that. Imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of things that cause problems, the Internet plays a fascinating part in this book, specifically around um, Cassidy's TV show, Cassie Keene. And I know that you are um, a huge Twin Peaks fan. And I was thinking about the ways in which the like the forums and these conversations where they're trying to put things together... And I remember doing that like around season three of Twin Peaks and being like, what does this thing mean? Could it be connected to this? Maybe it's the atomic bomb. And watching these characters do that in a positive way. But then, I I mean, enough time has elapsed since season three which I think was 2017, that now like a bunch of people on a message board talking about conspiracy theories has kind of a like a, a slightly more frightening overtone particularly mm. as they're like it's connected to water it's this whole thing the what R is this and it's it. it also lives in the background of the novel in a way but it suffuses the whole novel. Did you have mm. like the red string map of how all this stuff fit together or were you kind of sidelong looking like I, there's this weird conspiracy over here that I am also frightened of.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's such a good question. I mean, I think um, it made it in there in this whole um, Cassie Keene message Forge subplot where there's, um, there's a division between the people who believe that Cassie Keene was going to reveal some big secrets about the world of Cassie Keene if it had been allowed to continue for another season or something. It was canceled too early for the full storyline to come out. And the people who think Cassie Keene is actually this device for pointing us to a real life conspiracy that I can only hint at. And the dangerousness of that hinting um, was what got it canceled. So um, conspiracy within the world of the show and the conspiracy within the world of the world, you know? Um, And I don't know uh, which one seems less useful to you or less (laughs) (laughs) generative you know um but there's so many things like one is that I I love being drawn into a message board in some ways like I was doing the same thing that Drew was doing googling like what happened in the last episode of season (laughs) three of Twin Peaks and you know what I never found it (laughs) nothing ever worked for me um but I love sort of how immersing yourself in one of those environments you can feel like contaminating you because at some point you're like well I've got something to say about this I do not know what the right answer is but it's definitely not bad let me write a smart ass response (laughs) and um and uh it's not helpful but like um it, it is sort of engaging in this way um at the same time like I was really interested in you know, why do we feel the desire to make up conspiracies when there are so many um, real substantial cases of injustice happening in front of us right in the open, you know, like by contrast, another thing that I read a lot about while writing this was um, uh, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people were noticing that the water coming out of their taps was wrong. It, it had a color, it had a smell. Um, and, uh, they brought this to the attention of of the town and the town sort of responded with, no, the water is safe. We switched to a new source, but it's definitely safe. So this was something where people were noticing clues and they were bringing it to the right people. And it wasn't a conspiracy of like um, coming from the top down, like let's poison and adulterate the water supply. It was um, a crime of, economy you know of wanting to cut corners of wanting to do something cheaply of not understanding how different different sources of water could be and how they would interact differently with different infrastructures um and so many of our problems i think are are caused by these sorts of capitalist shortcuts you know so why would you rather make up a whole um (laughs) storyline to to satisfy that same urge for, you know, justice seeking and retribution. Like, it's a really interesting impulse to me. And so when I read about people falling down QAnon rabbit holes or something, I think, like, there's, you know, something we share in common. Like, we both sense that something is off in the world. But mm-hmm. um, but maybe it's the measure of control that you can have over it when you're weaving a conspiracy yourself narratively and unweaving it at the same time mm. that I could see that being somewhat appealing you know
0: yeah and I something. mean it reminds me of um the people who uh were making up a conspiracy about the supposed like final season of Sherlock that never got made that was oh, an I idea that this. they were like there's a reason why the last season was so bad <laughs> It's because they were building up to this thing that they didn't get to do. It's funny because, like, the impulse is the same. It's like this thing, this world that we're in sucks, and maybe there's a reason that they're keeping from
1: us. Absolutely, and it's also that you know you can't change the world. So that that last season of um, Sherlock gets completed, but you can rewrite everything around it in your own mind so that there's an an adjacent actual reality where what you believe should be the case is the case, you know? Like, I I see it as a way of decreasing cognitive dissonance that um, takes a lot of time, to be honest. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: You brought us a book with a a certain amount of cognitive dissonance Um, (laughs) you brought us marshlands by andre guide
2: spiffy new translation out from new york review books classics
0: and i'd love to know what what made you um suggest this book to us
1: (laughs) well um i i read this book um over the summer you know, it was in a time when I was leading up to book promotion time, where um, you think a lot about what's a book even for, and why <laughs> do we write them, and why why do they exist, and and so it was like so much fun to encounter this book that really doesn't care what the reader thinks about it it just does its own thing that compounds all these contradictions and ironies that may actually not be ironies like it may be an extremely sincere book who even knows (laughs) like um but it's about um a writer unnamed who um is working on a project called marshlands it's a novel it's clearly a genius masterpiece work um but he isn't very far on it um it's sort of unclear how far he is but um he says that he gets the idea from this passage in virgil where um one shepherd i think is talking to another shepherd and the shepherd says um well my land is full of rocks and and water and it's just generally crappy um but i'm happy here and it makes me happy to be happy (laughs) Um, and uh, and so then um maybe the whole novel is uh this writer trying to be happy with the project he's chosen or trying to be happy being a writer or trying to be happy being a person or trying to um uh maybe just convince other people that he is actually working on a project called marshlands you know it's sort of unclear (laughs) um but it's full of a lot of hilarious dialogue and like and some little exchanges too that will probably ring true to a lot of writers out there
2: like at that moment towards the beginning where he's just like somebody asks him why he's writing and he's like i don't have anything better to do (laughs) (laughs) it's like "Uh
1: uh-huh yeah i i definitely i felt that i haven't said it um (laughs) (laughs) but i also love um there's this little thing sort of early on where it's like one of the many prefaces to it and he says before i explain my book to people i am waiting for people to explain it to me explaining something up front only limits its meaning anyway for even assuming that we know what we want to say we don't know if that is all we actually will say
0: that stuck out to me that also um the the exchange between him and his lover where they're, where she keeps saying like, oh, you should put
1: that, put that in your book.
0: It's good. Um, and then he's like, no, everything that's in my book is already in my, it's an egg. It's full.
1: Yes. (laughs) You can't add anything to an egg. (laughs) (laughs) It's also about, you know, um, like a, this figure of the shepherd or this figure, um, to terrorists, who he makes as his own protagonist, like lives all alone in the marshlands in a little tower and doesn't need anything from anyone. Um, but there's no story there. So like our writer keeps having to go out to these parties that he hates and talk to people about marshlands and he's so annoyed and irritated by what they say. Um, and, and yet it's as though like, there's no um, book that you can actually write in isolation. You need other people to do it. Um, even if that is antithetical to your whole project.
0: <laughs> he's so confident, which is like the only thing that doesn't ring true for all the all writers that I know. Because um, <laughs> he's just like, I know what it is, I know what it isn't, like, and yeah. I, I'm annoyed at every party because people don't know what I know about the book that I haven't read. <laughs> I, I I had a note in my margins where I wrote that this could have been called F-Boy Island um, because. <laughs> because truly, he's just like messing around and like uh and like talking a big game without having anything to back it up
1: totally um and actually like someone should do a loose translation and a modernization they'll call it f-boy island and it would be beautiful (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it's like um we do see like some little bits that he writes, but like it seems like he's starting over every time. It seems like he's getting <laughs> nowhere. Um, and you wonder, like, is he kind of a model of the ideal artist because he won't let anyone alter his vision? And that's one of the things you're su- supposed to uphold as a writer, kind of. Or is he um, like the absolute lack of that? Is he the empty shell with no- nothing inside the egg, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's it's unbe- I it's unbelievable to me that this came out in 1895. I mean other yeah. than like a, a couple like calling card conventions, like very few of the things that like make up the society of this novel like don't translate. You know that all of yeah, it seems yeah. very um recent history to the point where it could have been like 1995 or 2005. <laughs>
2: If you set that scene where they're all going up the stairs to the party and they're like sitting down on the benches on the different flights of stairs and like writing sassy notes to each other, if you set that in a Brooklyn apartment building in 2021, I would believe you. Like it is a word for word. Tweeting at each other. (laughs) (laughs) They haven't gotten into
0: the party yet. They're just tweeting about the party that they haven't gotten to yet. Yes.
1: You haven't written your novel yet because you're running it all by Twitter first. <laughs> yeah.
0: Boy, that's um, that's a good way to never finish your book. Um. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think that there's something about it too that rings sort of sincere to me or it, it like connects to me on a, a deeper level. Like the idea that um, you shouldn't know everything that's in your project. You shouldn't have total control over it. And that like when it's this sort of, messy process open to other people and the inconveniences of life as like all processes inevitably are there may be things that enter if you allow them unlike this guy who sort of shuts them down whenever a straight thought threatens to enter his his marshlands
2: yeah even though like all right we're gonna go on a vacation we're gonna get out of town and then they're like oh we gotta get back for church though mm-hmm.
4: yeah <laughs> i was just like oh,
2: you guys got so close
1: you got so close. You got so close to having an experience that you could write about, like mm-hmm. a standalone experience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he does capture this. There is like this joy in talking about what you're working on. There is there is like there, it's a dangerous joy because you realize that like you're gonna you you can talk about the thing that you're working on without it existing. The yes. same way that if it existed, like it's the mm-hmm. same. Yes. And, like, that's so dangerous because it's very. it can be very satisfying to talk about the thing and have people talk about it with you, even if you're like, that's not it, that's not right, I know what it is. Yeah. Um, that it alone is a very satisfying act, and I think it can sort of kill the whatever the spark was that made you want to write it in the first place.
1: You're so right. And, I mean, I feel like there is this danger when you talk about it. First, like, you could um, – explain it to someone in a way that disgusts you (laughs) and then you'll never be able to work on it again or you could like accidentally talk yourself into like a successful point where you're like whoa i communicated it all like now Mm -hmm. i no longer feel the urge to to write it right
0: (laughs) Yeah. it turns out i only needed eight sentences at this party in the village
1: (laughs) (laughs) they were the right eight sentences though (laughs) yeah
0: And and that'll be more fulfilling than like finishing the book ever could
1: be. (laughs) Finishing a book isn't fulfilling. Not until like months afterwards. (laughs) 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 Um, But I think about my husband, um, Alex Gilberry, who's also a writer because he, um, he finished his novel while at the Norman Mailer colony, and then people were asking him, "Well, what are you going to write next?" And so he just started saying, "Well, I'm writing a, a novel about Norman Mailer." And then he said it so many times for so long that he was like, "I've really got to write this novel about Norman <laughs> Mailer," and then he did. So it's like a passing thing that that took years of his life. <laughs> Be careful of <with> parties.
0: <laughs> I completely understand that. I've, I've been joking about um, a, a self-help book that I've been saying like, oh, I'm going to work on that someday. And it, as I, at, the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, is that actually a good idea and not just a party joke? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's a good idea. I, for one, need self-help and I, I need it from someone who doesn't want to give me self-help. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's that's similar to how I feel about politicians. Like the the sheer <laughs> act of wanting to be president should actually disqualify <laughs> you. From yeah.
1: Job. Uh, there should be a draft, or or you should be able to collectively organize in secret and vote for a person. You know?
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kicking and screaming like oh god. And our new
2: president is Doug, <laughs> and then, like cuts to some guy who's just like, no, 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 no. no. no.
0: I'm sorry to cut this, cut this off because I could talk to you forever, Alex, but the next thing that we always do in our show is recommendations.
4: We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah.
2: Do you want to start?
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll start. I am going to recommend a show. It's not many seasons long it's just started um why the last man is finally airing on hulu and i've been watching the like um production details announcements of why the last man for years and years and years ever since i read the series there's been so many different iterations and directors and stars um attached and finally like it wasn't until I actually pressed play. I was like, this could be just a whole psyop. Like this could not be.
4: <laughs> <laughs> because like
0: I've just been like wanting it for so long. Um, because it's such a good concept. Like all the men die except for one. And it's Why, just yeah. women.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Why him? And what what is everybody gonna do? And so many men hold a lot of infrastructure jobs. And so there's like a lot of interesting problems to solve. And uh I loved the comic so much and the television series only the first three episodes have come out but oh it's gripping it's Mm -hmm. really well acted everybody in it is fantastic the person who got cast to play agent 355 is amazing Um, I'm just totally enraptured and it is very um, gory and difficult to watch at times but it's it's a really entertaining and one of those shows that when you're you didn't realize that you were like holding your breath until like the credits and you're like, Oh, it's good. <laughs> you know, it feels, it feels sort of cathartic in that way. So that's my recommendation is, is get on the train. Drew, do you want to
2: go next? Sure. I have two books uh, that are both pre-orders. One I just decided I was going to add cause I finished it over the weekend and I was thinking about why the last man it's called manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. And it is a similar idea that um, something happens to all of the men, but it's it's a, a plague that they call T-Rex and it affects testosterone levels. But she's writing it from the point of view of several trans characters um, and sort of the question of how they are trying to balance their hormone levels in order to either represent themselves fully in the world or not turn into these like ravening, horrible zombie beasts while also fighting off turfs.
1: Wow. Wow. It's,
2: oh my God. It's like, it's brutal. It's funny. A lot of really great sex writing. Um, Uh It just like, it was a truly live wire wild ride of a read. Um, But the other book I read on vacation this summer. Uh, and Alex, something you said earlier, like the climate change snuck up on us and it has made the literary world more ambitious. Mm-hmm. Your book certainly feels like one of the first books that's grappling with this question in a way that feels present, but Adrian Kelt's new book that's coming out in April called End of the World House. Wow, Similarly, uh, it's one of the best depictions of sort of how we can and probably will, in a very dark way, adapt to, you know, that idea that, like, there's not going to be a switch, there's not going to be a thing that flips, it's just going to be, this thing happens, and then this thing happens, and some of it's going to be so brutally bad, but, like, you're still going to go with your best friend to the Louvre.
4: Yeah. But that's the
2: background of the novel, and then they get caught in, like, a strange Groundhog Day loop at the Louvre.
4: Mm. Wow! It's
2: it's really weird. It's really ambitious. It takes several turns that I did not expect, um, and I I keep thinking about it, mm. and I'm pissed that it comes out in April because I'm like, oh my god, I read it in August, and so now I have to wait <laughs> so long to be able to talk to people about it.
1: Uh, mm. I'll try to get a hold of it, like that and the Seramango. So like, the top of my list <laughs> now.
2: <laughs> um, Alex, what about you?
1: You know, I was thinking. Uh, I I feel like this seems a little out of character for me. But one thing <laughs> I did is I read a biography for mm. one of the first times. Like it's not a thing I usually do. Usually, um, I would just rather read the work of the person who is being biographed. But I read *In Search of Nella Larson, a biography of the color line by um, cool. this guy George Hutchinson. And because Nella Larson is is coming back, like there's sort of allusions to her in um, Zakia Dalila Harris's The Other Black Girl. And then there's a movie adaptation that's coming out. Um, it, it also felt like a good moment to do this. Um, but it's a really long book, like 600 pages. And he does this meticulous research, like filling in tiny gaps in her life that people didn't know about that make a huge difference. Like, For example, um, uh, she claimed uh, some, Danish ancestry. And because um, previous researchers weren't able to find her on a ship's registry going to Denmark in the past, they claimed that she made it up and was just um, purporting that she was more white to sort of raise her status and Europeanness and and make herself more cosmopolitan. Well, this guy found her on the manifest <laughs> eventually. Um, and then he was able to reconstruct like three years of what she did in Denmark, like. Um, Wow. free classes and like seeing her relatives there and then coming back but um it, it really like paints a portrait not wholly likable but what when does likability even matter um you know of a person who um has been read and misread all of her life and um Sort of wrote out of frustration at, at being constantly misread. So, it it also felt a little bit like a mystery to me, and it was really gripping at at points because it's it's like putting a person back together through research, you know.
0: So cool. Cool. Yeah. Wow. That sounds awesome.
1: It's really good. I recommend it. All six hundred pages. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think we can also. Very safely recommend Something New Under the Sun, your new novel. Everybody needs to go pick it up and read it. It's it's a completely singular experience and, uh, and also very, you know, it'll really change how you feel about drinking water.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you so much, guys. This is the, the best experience, best part of publishing a book is to get to talk to you. So I hope to do it oh, no. again and make it four times someday.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> And the, for the people at home, um, of course, go buy Alex Lehman's work. Uh, she has three novel, uh, two novels and a short story collection that you can go pick up. Um, and also, of course, we really love when you review us on iTunes and give us five stars. And we really like when you go to our Patreon and give us money. Um, you know, we, we like to treat our Patreoners right. And, you know, Drew actually had a custom tea uh, mail out that went out a couple weeks months years i i don't know time depends on when easy. you're
2: listening to this honestly <laughs>
0: um and so you know we're 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 brewing huh hey. but uh, what'll be next in that in that realm too so you know if you give us ten dollars we end up sending you something if you're in the united states <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway so that's it <laughs> and Alex thank you so much again for coming on the show we so appreciate it
4: yeah thank you so much for having guys